It's a great blessing we have to be together tonight. You know, it's been 11 weeks since we had a Sunday night service. 77 days. That's a long time. It's a blessing that we're here together on a Sunday evening to look at God's Word. I was originally supposed to speak on Acts chapter 1, April the 5th. That's two months ago. But today, March the 30, May the 31st, we get to look into the book of Acts. I've been looking forward to the study of the book of Acts for some time now. Acts is a pivotal book in the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, we have several books of history. We have the beginning, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. They tell us about from the very beginning through the time of Moses. And then we have the Judges and we have through the kings, and we have lots of history that's given us over several thousand years. But in the New Testament, we have a short period of time, but much happens in that period of time. There's many different epistles and many different writings written to different churches and to different people. But the Gospels and the Acts are what give us the history that those books in the Old Testament did that tie it all together. And I believe the book of Acts ties all the Pauline epistles, the letters of Peter, of James, and all the other books in the Bible, give them some context so that you understand what's going on and you see how, when those letters were written out, you see how they were put into practice. You see that the Christians, on the first day of the week, they came together to break bread in Acts 20, verse 7. That's how we know that we are to come together and observe the Lord's Supper. There's many other things that we don't get if we don't have the book of Acts. There's 13 different times at least in the book of Acts that people are converted to Christianity. We find the gospel, the plan of salvation. Each time it's not given in total each time, but as a whole we can get the full picture of what it takes to become a child of God. The book of Acts, I'd like to do two things tonight. I'd like to give an introduction to the book of Acts and then also go through the first chapter with you tonight. The book of Acts is written, I believe we can have confidence, by Luke. Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. These are the two longest books in the New Testament. Luke being the longest with over 19,000 words in the Greek and Acts just shorter with 18. They give us lots of detailed information about Christ first and then also how the New Testament church was to perform its activities and how it spread throughout the entire world. These two books by themselves combine over to be over 27% of the New Testament. You know, the Bible does not inspired, in an inspired way tell us that Luke was the writer, but I believe there's a preponderance of evidence that tells us this. Early church historians acted like it was a foregone conclusion that Luke was the writer of both of them. We have great evidence in the two books themselves that there was one same author that wrote both of them. If you look at Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, it says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Note here at the beginning of Luke, Luke that Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. But he heard eyewitness accounts from those eyewitnesses. 
And through the Holy Ghost, he was inspired to write these things down. Verse 3 says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Theophilus means lover of God. And, and Luke is writing to this man to confirm his faith. He already has faith in Jesus Christ, but he's writing to him to confirm it once again for him to know that it is true. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The former treatise, meaning the former work, the former letter that I sent to you, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach unto the day which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Both books, as I said before, they're very close to the same length. They are a length that would fill up the entirety of a normal-sized parchment in their day. They give events in a chronological order in a very similar fashion. They, come, they cover a very similar amount of time, 30 to 35 years. I believe they were written about the same time. It's as if, as if Luke sat down and wrote the gospel and sent it to, the, to Theophilus, and then he sat down and wrote the book of Acts and sent it later to Theophilus, but very soon after he did Luke. As I said, church leaders of the first and second century give credit to Luke. Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Eusebius, they all say that Luke was the writer of both of them. The beginning of the book of Acts is in third person, and it talks about things that happened. But then in Acts chapter 16, you see some personal pronouns. We went this place, or we got together. I believe Luke was in with Paul as he went on his, many of his missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 16, we see that he was with him as they toured through Asia and Macedonia. And also in Acts chapter 20, we see personal pronouns, first-person pronouns used. And also when he went to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. And also when he went to Rome in Acts 27. The Apostle Paul shows his close relationship with Luke in several of his letters. In Philemon chapter 1... Verse 24 says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. He's noted as somebody that's laboring with Paul for the cause of Christ. Even though he wasn't an apostle, he was still doing his very best. We find that he was a, a physician. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He was an, a well-educated man. One commentary I, I read said that this is the the finest Greek in Luke and Acts was the finest Greek that was written in the New Testament. How articulate it was and how well thought out it was, pointing to the fact that he was an educated man. I apologize. I really got into the study of the writer of the book. It really intrigued me. As you look into the, the writer of the book, I believe that he was the only writer of the New Testament that was not Jewish. If you look at Colossians chapter 4, we find that 
In the, fir in the first two references, I told you in Philemon verse 24 and in Colossians 14, it mentions Demas. In, in Colossians chapter 4, it also mentions Demas in verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. But earlier in that same chapter, it says, And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So it gives a list of people, and it says these are the only ones that are of the circumcision. And then down a few verses later, he says, Luke and Demas are there with him, and they also send greeting. So evidently he was a Gentile, but he was a Christian and he was brought into the faith and he was wholly accepted by Paul and the other Jewish Christians. Luke was a very faithful friend. He stayed with Paul to the very end. We can date the book, I believe, to around 62 to 64 AD because where... Luke leaves off, it is prior to several events that happened in the latter part of six, the 60s and 70 AD. First being the burning of Rome in July of AD 64. It's when it is supposed that Nero set fire to Rome and then blamed the Christians. And a great Christian persecution happened at that time. Shortly after that, in about 65 AD, Paul was killed for his faith. We know he was at Rome at the end of the book of Acts. But shortly after the conclusion of the book of Acts, he is killed for his faith. And also in AD 70, the temple at Jerusalem is completely destroyed. And the Jewish faith can no longer be carried out because all the records and all the descendants that where people could trace their lineage back to Abraham were destroyed. Had this happened before the writing of the book of Acts, it would make you think that Luke would have written this down. So that gives us a time frame for this book. So this is the who that wrote it. What's going on at this time? As I mentioned, Nero was persecuting the church. He was a very evil man. He took power at the age of 16. And he was very wicked. He killed his mom. He killed his wife. And he was a very amoral, evil person. And he persecuted the church. And the Roman Empire was continuing to grow, but yet Christianity flourished in this time. You know, we feel like we're persecuted at times, and we are, but not to the extent that they were in the first century. But yet their faith grew, and their zeal for Christ did not waver. They continued to tell the, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to do as well today. You know, I said that I said that uh, Luke was a faithful companion of Paul. You know, we mentioned Demas three times with Luke. We know that Demas forsaked Paul at some time and, and went back to the ways of the world. Luke did not. Luke stayed to the very end. I would like to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. 2 Timothy 4, 10 and 11. For Demas, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, 
for he is profitable to me for the ministry. We see his consistency and faithfulness to the cause of Christ and to his fellow laborer, the Apostle Paul. As I said, there's 13 different, at least 13 different accounts of people converting to Christianity in the book of Acts. Through the book of Acts, we have the plan of salvation. Through, that, through the book of Acts, we have the confirmation that Gentiles can be added to the church. If you want to have a summary of the book of Acts, just look to what Christ said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what the book of Acts does. It, it chronicles the spreading of the church. First in Jerusalem, as was prophesied, as was mentioned this morning. And then it grew, and it grew until it finally filled the whole earth. And the, the kingdom of Christ subdued all nations. If you want an outline of the chapters of the, book, of the book of Acts, the first five chapters deal with the church there in Jerusalem. And then at, in chapter 6, the, the church begins to be persecuted. So the Christians leave Jerusalem, and the church spreads because of that persecution. And you find that in, verses, in chapters 6 through 9. We see Philip going to Samaria, as was told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in Acts chapter 8. And we see that the gospel was extended to the Gentiles in Acts chapters 10 through 12, where Cornelius and his household were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we have the missionary journeys of Paul in Acts 13 through 20. And finally, we have Paul's journey to Rome in chapters 21 through 28. All this gives us about a 30 to 35 year time span of how the church grew and was able to go throughout the whole world. So if we look at the first chapter of the book of Acts, I believe we need to give some context by looking at Luke chapter 24, beginning verse 44. This being Christ says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they may understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of the, my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So that's how the first letter to Theophilus ends. And his second letter begins in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days 
and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So now he's referencing the former letter, the letter of Luke that he sent to Theophilus, and he's saying that was the beginning, and now this is the continuation of this Christianity, this kingdom that has been prophesied of for some time, for many, many years. And he says that he's shown himself after his resurrection and proven himself to be the Christ for 40 days. There's 10 days between the time Christ ascended and the day of Pentecost when Acts chapter 2 happens. So it's for these 10 days that we're talking that this chap- chapter 1 of the book of Acts takes place. There are at least 11 times that Christ appears to his followers after he has resurrected from the dead. We won't go through all of those, but he does it over and over again. He comes to not people that don't know who he is, but the people that know exactly who he is. So they can confirm that this truly is the same man that I was breaking bread with just a few days ago. This is the same man that I saw hanging on a cross and had a spear driven through his side and saw that blood come out and he was dead. I saw him taken to the tomb. I saw his body prepared. But then they saw him alive again. They were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. They could have a faith that would endure persecution. And that's what Christ, them seeing Christ and them being able to touch him and see his scars was gave them the ability to is to do is have faith that could endure anything this world would throw at them. You know, today we can't see the risen Christ in the flesh. We can't be as Thomas and ask to see the nail print scars in his hands or his, or his spear-pierced side. We can't do that. But when we study the Bible, we can have a faith just as strong. And we can know of a surety that we serve a risen Savior. Verses 4 through 7 says, And being assembled together with them, the speaking of Christ. So here it's overlapping a little bit of what we saw in the end of the book of Luke. Commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Notice that being baptized with the Holy Ghost was not a commandment but it was something that God was going to do upon them to show them something was happening. It was a promise, not a command. Verse 6, And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of, to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know, it's hard for us, hard for me to... To look at this and think and not think, you've seen all these things happen and you've seen that it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual. So why do you want to see this physical kingdom and this power on the earth come? You need to realize that they were men and women just as you and I are. And they, they didn't have the entirety of Scripture to look back upon. They, this was happening in front of their very eyes. And they, they still needed to be taught from God. And, and God says, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost and He's going to confirm the truth of 
Jesus Christ and the truth of what He has been teaching to you for this some three years. This Holy Spirit baptism is something very peculiar to the first century church. It only happens twice. It happens in, the, in Acts the second chapter and it happens in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. In both times it's showing that the gospel is opening up, that the kingdom is opening up to a new people. The kingdom opened up to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And it opened up in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles and everyone else in the world. So when people say that they have Holy Spirit baptism, they don't because that only happened there in the first century. Acts chapter 1 verses 8 through 11 says, But ye shall have received power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So here Christ is giving them the marching orders. This is what's going to happen. And we see this play out through the rest of the book of Acts. How that this was not just a small thing that was happening, but this is something that's going to grow and it's going to consume the whole world. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The risen Savior is coming and teaching you and telling you about things to come and then He's raised out of your sight to heaven in a cloud. God tells us that that's how He's going to come back. He's going to come back out from heaven in the same manner. And it will be just as, if not more, awesome than it was when He left. Verse 10 says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them, in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. It's as if they're saying, Hey, don't, stand, don't stay here and just be awestruck. You've got a work to do. You need to get prepared because this same Jesus has something for you to do. That commission that he gave them in verses eight through eleven, or in verse eight, that they're going to go and preach the gospel. I think it's interesting if you look at Acts, the, Acts one verse eight, and also Acts one verse twenty-two. That Greek word that is witness is Greek thirty-one forty-four. It's pronounced something like martus. It's the same word as martyr. When it talks about Stephen being martyred. When it talks about having to die for your faith, these witnesses, because of the strong faith they had, they were willing to die for what they saw. And they wouldn't recount what they said, what they, what they saw. They wouldn't say, no, maybe I didn't see that, when they were threatened with their life. They know 100% that they saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We need to have that same faith. The only way we're going to have that faith is through study and knowing God's Word. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Best I could find, a Sabbath day's journey is about seven-eighths of a mile, so it's not very far. So they went out and they saw Christ risen, into the air and left and went back to the right hand of God. And now they come back to Jerusalem. 
as he had commanded them to. Verse 13, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter, James, and John, and Philip, Andrew and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Verse 14, it says his brethren were with, it, with him. When Christ was alive before his death, his brothers didn't believe who he was. He might have done miracles that they saw, but they didn't believe it until his resurrection. And it says here that his brethren, his physical brethren, and his mom were both there with the disciples. And we see all the disciples named except Judas. Verse 15, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. So the disciples were there specifically in the upper room, but in Jerusalem as a whole there were 120 disciples. And Peter gets up and he says, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the word of David spake concerning before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in the proper tongue, a seldoma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. We know from the Gospels that Judas went back and threw the silver back to the, the leaders of the, of the Sanhedrin at their feet and says, I don't want this. And he says, what's that to us? We can't do anything with it. And so they buy this field, and he goes and he hangs himself there. Peter references that the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas. He's referencing a prophecy that is given by David thousands of years before. But it shows that the Holy Spirit is the one behind all the writings in the New Testament, all the writings in the Old Testament. That he is the one that's directing these writers, though they be men, to have the common focus in that being of Jesus Christ. Psalm chapter 109 verse 8 says, Let his days be few and let another take his office. Psalm chapter 41 and verse 9 says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. In Psalm 69 and verse 25, Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. So even though this was... A psalmist writing psalms thousands of years before, it was still part of God's plan to show without the shadow of a doubt that this Jesus Christ was the one that was prophesied of. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We benefit from studying God's Word, whether it be in Genesis, whether it be in the Psalms, whether it be in Esther, whether it be in the New Testament, because it all comes together and fits together perfectly.
We don't realize how well it fits together until we realize what all the Bible says. You know, every time we read the Bible, every time I read the Bible, I realize that, you know what, I didn't know something. I didn't realize that Demas was mentioned three times with Luke, and then in one time then he was so it was said that he was he went against his faith. There's many things that we can read, no matter where we're reading in the Bible, and when we put it all together, it strengthens our faith. We see the complexity of the Bible, but yet the simplicity in that it all comes together and points to Christ. Verse 21, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. So here they give the qualifications of an apostle, the one that is going to take Judas's place. Verse 23, And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname is Justice, and Matthias. Now it's interesting to me that Luke, in his tedious nature, he says, they appointed two, and then he says it's Joseph, he's called Barsabbas, and his surname is Justice. So he clarifies exactly who this was. Well, this wasn't the one they chose. It was the other guy, who was Matthias. But yet he goes very tedious and, and tells them exactly who it was. It's showing that he was trying to produce faith, showing, hey, if you know this guy, his name's Joseph, he's also known by Barsabbas, and he's also known by Justice. This is one of the guys they were going to choose, but they didn't choose him, they chose Matthias. This is the only place that Matthias is mentioned in the New Testament. It is assumed through history we, we read that he was martyred for the cause of Christ. Verse 24 says, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now people may say, well, so they just got together and rolled some dice, and the dice said that it was Matthias, so that's who it was. Casting lots is how the Jewish people did many of the things, how they chose and it was their way of showing that it is by God's design that this person be chosen. That it wasn't a political contest, that it wasn't somebody could get the backing of the majority of the crowd, but it was by God. You know, they chose two people to put forth that met these qualifications. I believe God guided their choice in those two men. When they prayed for his guidance in casting the lot and the lot going on the one that would become the twelfth apostle, I believe he guided that lot. And that Matthias was the one that should have been chosen. From this point on, Matthias is named with the eleven. So he's just along with the other apostles as if he was there from the beginning. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, so it's saying the other eleven, Peter and the eleven made up the twelve apostles, he lifted up his voice and began to talk. So Matthias was the chosen one of God to, be, to fulfill this role of being an apostle. You, know, may, you may think that being a role of an apostle was a glamorous thing. You know, they had miraculous gift to uh, lay hands on somebody that could also lay hands and give the gift of the Holy Spirit to people. But each one of these people died for their faith. 
John lived till he was 90 plus, but he was in exile. These men were witnesses. They were martyrs because they would hold fast to the truth no matter what came upon them. They had pestilence. They had the evil Roman government persecuting them. They had their own countrymen, the Jews, persecuting them. But yet they stood steadfast in their faith. And they would not waver in their trust in God. I hope that from the lesson tonight you get the fact that there was great effort put into giving us an account of the first century church. That God, through Christ and the Holy Spirit and the apostles, made sure that we had a history of what happened at the beginning of the church. So we could go back to that beginning and we could restore New Testament Christianity. And that's what we're striving to do here in this congregation. We have every reason to believe that the same Jesus Christ that ascended to heaven some 2,000 years ago is one day going to return in like manner and going to judge us. And those that submit to Him today are going to be caught up with Him in heaven just as He was and go to live with Him for eternity and glory. Tonight you have an opportunity, a great opportunity to be named with the disciples of Christ, to become a child of God, to put on Christ in baptism. Today is a great opportunity to do that. If you haven't do, done that, why not do it tonight? If you are distant from Christ, you are a child of God, but you feel distant because of something you've done, because there is sin that separates you from God, now is the perfect time to make yourself right with God through repentance and through prayer. The church here tonight stands ready and willing to assist one of either case if you'll come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.